if you're out there in the community and knocking on doors and folks are not connecting with that, then your message is wrong. I think that um, on our side, we really have to do a better job of listening. I speak with folks all the time about there's a Northeastern North Carolina rule, there's a Sand Hills rule, there's an Eastern rule. So you cannot say everyone's going to get the same message. For the News and Observer and NC Insider, I'm Brian Murphy, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. It's Friday, August 6th, 2021. I'm pleased to be joined by North Carolina State Senator Natalie Murdoch of Durham. Senator Murdoch was in Washington, D.C. earlier this week for a voting rights rally across the street from the U.S. Capitol. The Recess Can Wait, Our Democracy Can't rally attracted more than 100 state lawmakers from nearly 30 states, all pushing the U.S. Senate to pass voting rights legislation before it adjourns for its August recess. Senator Murdoch, thank you so much for joining the Under the Dome podcast. All right. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. Let's talk a little bit about uh, D.C. and and what you saw up there, what you heard. Um, There was a big rally. It was across the street from from the Capitol. Uh, You got to speak um, as one of four uh, people from North Carolina up there. You were the only one that got to speak. What was the takeaway when you when you when you've come back to North Carolina? What was the takeaway from from that entire experience for you? Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. I can't stress enough, first and foremost, how I was just honored to be selected as um, one of the individuals that could speak and and take the main stage and to represent North Carolina as a North Carolina native um, meant a lot. Um, And unfortunately, as a North Carolina Carolina native um, and very aware of the history we have with um, gerrymandering and, and just not having Um, fair districts and so was led to join legislators nationwide over um, 100 legislators. We all traveled to D.C. and over around 30 some odd states were represented. So from from Utah to Florida to Michigan to Arizona, um, West Virginia, which is very key as well. Um, We all were were in D.C. because we're all having issues at our state level um, where we're just really concerned about having fair and free elections. And so We've all been following reports out of Texas where their um, Democratic uh, House members just left Texas and went to D.C. and said, we want to lobby and break quorum simply because they didn't know what else to do to prevent having um, really repressive and oppressive laws that would have followed laws that have already passed in Georgia. They did not want to be the next Georgia. So they all hopped on a plane and they've been up there. And so we also went up there to stand with them. We've been doing um, events with them every day. I did another virtual event with them this morning. So um, it it was really just invigorating, um, but still frustrating. Frustrating to know that we should have had so much more progress, you know, coming after um, you know, the civil rights movement and, and all of the protections that we we fought for, that my ancestors fought for. Um, but here we are in 2021, particularly in the South, um, just really, really fighting to make sure that we can have fair and free elections and, and that everyone will have equal access to the ballot box. One of the lines that was used often at, at the rally and uh, Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia used it, it, said that some people don't want some people to vote. And that was yes. sort of the theme of, of the rally that a lot of these laws, at least from the Democratic perspective, are, are aimed at uh, voters of color and particularly yes. black voters. Um, what can be done? What, I mean, what would you like to see this, the U.S. Senate do, the U.S. Congress do, even the state of North Carolina do um, to, to help alleviate some of these problems or what you see as problems? Yeah, I will state that in North Carolina, our laws, we do have bills that are concerning that I will discuss, um, but they were not as Um, They didn't go as far as Texas or Georgia. I mean, especially in Georgia to say that you don't even want folks to have 
you know, water and, and snacks in line. I mean, that's something that I pride myself on doing. Of I always volunteer with a group and make sure folks have everything that they need because our lines are just just very long, you know, which is a, a good problem to have. Um, so it, it, exactly, we're definitely concerned about laws that will target certain populations of people. We've seen that in North Carolina. That's why the courts threw out um, our, our maps and said that um, there were racial gerrymanders with surgical precision. We know for a fact that data was collected um, and it was discriminatory to um, people of color and, and was going to make it a lot harder for them to vote. That's how we ended up with our current um, set of maps. And we are already prepared to, to go back to court again. But here in North Carolina, um, the provision in the Election Integrity Act out of the Senate, um, there's a trio of, of bills where um, my caucus, we did not support any of those three, but I'm definitely concerned about the Election Integrity Act and not counting ballots if they haven't been received by election day. We all know the issues we had with mail last time. Mail is something you simply cannot control. One of my colleagues uses the great example of if you mail your taxes in and they come after tax day, they're still going to cash that check for your for your taxes. So why should your vote not count in the event that the mail that you cannot control? Should it be postmarked by election day? Absolutely. But in the event that it does not um, make it to its location by election day, that ballot should still be counted. And we all know this is a follow up to the most previous election where um, the court did provide more days for those ballots to be collected because Again, we were having a lot of issues with mail. That one is the most troubling. The back of the napkin estimates we've completed. If that law were in, in place during the last election, 11 plus thousand ballots would literally be thrown in the trash. And so I'm very deliberate and intentional when I say that some votes will be thrown in the trash because they, they will be. So again, the new wave of voter suppression looks like making it a lot more difficult for votes to count. So you may be able to vote, you may show up and, and do everything you're supposed to do, but that vote may be in question when it should not be in question. Yeah, in the 2020 election, votes were allowed to come in, I think up to maybe nine days after the election. I believe it was um, around nine days. As, yeah. as the part of a settlement. Um, obviously, Republicans were not very happy with that settlement and have proposed ending uh, ballots would have to be in by election day. Yes. Uh, to count, which is uh, which is different than previous law, which even allowed for two or three days yes. after the election. Um, one of the pushbacks to that is is people knew the law, right? They knew that they could get cast their ballot on election day; it would still count. If if they know the law is different, they'll cast those those ballots a little a little earlier this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think again, I am on the side of we need to make voting accessible to all people. Again, if you work two and three jobs and you're a single mother and and you know have three children, you may not have the luxury of making sure you get that ballot in really early. You could fall ill and end up having to vote by mail um, at, at an emergency at the ninth hour. So that's why we have these systems in place and really these safety nets to make sure that your vote will count because you can't control. Um, the mail, you can't control the weather. There, there are a number of factors that could um, impact your ability to be able to physically vote first and foremost, but also impact your ability to get um, that mail-in ballot received, not postmarked, but received by that time. And I think having a few days is, is more than reasonable if you can make sure that that ballot is valid and was postmarked by election day. Those, those ballots should be counted. Are, are, you know, there's been a lot of talk, so much talk about um some of these laws and what they do to maybe restrict voting. Are there things you'd like to see put in place to open up voting? Um, we, yeah. don't, we don't often talk about things that can be done to, to make it easier to vote. 
Yes, I think there are so many different things that we could do to just make voting so much easier, more accessible. Um, one that a number of us champion is uh, making Election Day a holiday. I co-sponsored that bill with Senator Garrett in the Senate. Um, also, automatic voter registration is really a no-brainer. Um, when you turn 18, you should just automatically be registered to vote. We shouldn't um, make it difficult for folks to register. And another reason that that would really, really be helpful is I've done a lot of organizing on campuses across the state from undergrad at Chapel Hill to now um, before becoming a senator, just as an advocate at North Carolina Central University, where sometimes those forms are not filled out completely. So that's another challenge of sometimes there could be um, one or two um, boxes that are missing from your voter registration, and that doesn't count. So I think whatever we could do to um, and to to really put a pin in the point, not only is the form not processed, folks don't know when they show up to vote and realize they aren't even registered. So if that happens on election day, you cannot register to vote and vote on um, election day. You would have to do that during early voting. So I know a lot of folks that were really discouraged. They thought they were registered or maybe you move and didn't register in your new precinct. Also an issue for voting day. That's what causes you to have to cast a provisional ballot so I definitely think those would be um, at the top of the list. And of course, with this current provision with mail-in voting, we should make that as easy um, as, as possible and make sure those votes count if they were cast by election day and um, more online options. So we are excited about the opportunity to register to vote online. Um, that is something that I think will definitely help with the voter registration process, because that way, a lot of those forms you'll be required to fill out. So you won't have as many incomplete voter registration forms. Republicans and, and uh, Chairman Watley of the North Carolina Republican Party has made this point over and over that uh, Republicans say they want to make it easier to vote, easier to vote and harder to cheat. They talk a lot about election integrity. Do you think any of those claims stand up? Are, are there are there any points that the Republicans have made do you, that you think you know are, are worthwhile and, and uh, deserve some consideration? I don't I don't think so. I don't think so, because I think we just see a national trend of uh, I actually didn't know the bill number was quite that high until the rally. Over 400 bills across this nation have been filed that are making it harder to vote. And it is a national trend. So I, I don't I, I can't take that at, at face value because the legislation that I'm seeing and honestly, if we didn't have um, the numbers that we had in North Carolina, we would see. I guarantee we would see similar legislation. The reason that we have it is because our our, our political makeup is a little bit um, different here. Um, but I, I don't. I, I haven't seen legislation that will make it easier, that will remove um, barriers to voting. Of course, you want it to be fair. Um, you want to have reasonable rules. But again, you can be reasonable. And I still think the best example of that is if your ballot is postmarked by a certain day, it should it should count. I don't think you should um, you know continue to to change rules that we know will. Um, eliminate ballots from being counted. Yeah, uh, the liberal Brennan Center says that uh, you know 18 states have passed 30 laws, so 400 introduced, 30 passed. Yes, uh, that they say uh, restrict voting in some way. Now they say some of those laws uh, both expand voting and restrict voting in, in the same law, and some are very narrow. But they also point out that some are are very broad, and some states have passed more than one. Yes, um, including Arizona, uh, which we've we've talked about. Well, yeah. you, you went to D.C., you heard from uh, several U.S. senators, Democrats, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Raphael Warnock, um, Cory Booker, several others uh, spoke. How, how confident did you, did you have any conversations with them offstage? How we confident did, are you? We did. 
we, we had have great it. conversations. And I honestly want to highlight a conversation I had with some uh, state legislators out of West Virginia. Apparently, they had a phenomenal conversation with Senator Manchin. And we'll see how it goes. You know, we all know the numbers. We're watching um, Senator Manchin and, and Cinema. you know, it's really, really all eyes on them. They were really... Um, excited about the prospect of a, a carve out, which a lot of folks are talking about. Is there a way to say, if you don't completely abolish the filibuster, can you have some sort of carve out to say for voting rights, you'll have a different set of rules where folks can still speak their piece and um, potentially delay a vote, but not completely squash a vote simply because um, in this instance, you may not want to expand voting rights. So was really an inspired by that. Definitely Warnock. I mean, his, um, his remarks were were just honestly a highlight for me. And he just gets it. You know, he saw what happened in Georgia. And um, again, the national trend is states that were close but ended up, um, you know, supporting Biden just so happened to be the states that have some of the most um, restrictive laws, you know, from Georgia to Arizona um, to requirements for audits when um, ballots were counted multiple times. And you really didn't see any instances of, of, of foul play. So we can't find the justification for this legislation. So that was definitely a theme of the rally. And I think also um, want to lift up the memory of John Lewis since we are coming on the anniversary of um, that legislation. So also the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and just... Um, we really highlighted just the need for the federal government to step in. Again, if you've seen over 400 bills introduced, um, around a little less than 20 that have actually moved forward, I think that really gives us all the evidence we need to show that the federal government has to step in um, so that we have a standard nationwide for when ballots are received, more information about early voting, and also control of our state board of elections. That's been another theme with a lot of this harmful legislation is really intervening in the state board of elections to where it's really, really concerning. And they should have the ability to do their job, whether it be investigations or um, how they tally votes, whatever that is, should it be monitored? Yes. Um, but you, you shouldn't really put your thumb on the scale to where it will impact the result of an election. That is concerning. And it's the basis of our democracy. If, if we can't trust the process we use to tally votes, then we've lost the foundation of our democracy. Right. And then you've seen the audits in, in Arizona and, and some other states. And um, it's really interesting because I think there's a fundamental disagreement uh, between uh, you, you talk about if you can't trust the process. And I think some on the other side say we can't trust the process. And it's very, very interesting uh, dynamic. You, you were there lobbying for the For the People Act, um, which doesn't seem like it has enough support to get through Congress. But there is the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, Joe yes. Manchin, as you mentioned, has a sort of compromise legislation. It seems mm -hmm. like there, there are a lot of avenues to po possibly get this done. Uh, did you leave D.C. confident that, that one of those avenues will be pursued? Or I am. And thank goodness the Senate is still in session. That was also why we wanted to go at this time. We really wanted to physically come to D.C. to encourage our senators. A number of U.S. senators joined us at the rally because we don't want them to go home without doing something. They're, they're here. The House has recessed for seven weeks, but we really wanted to implore the U.S. Senate to stay in session, go ahead and pass this now because we're already getting ready to draw new maps. We also need federal legislation to ensure that our maps are fair. So we need to do that as states across the nation will be getting that 
final census data and they'll be getting ready to draw these maps. So um, that is also why we want a federal standard for um, nonpartisan um, maps. And that's what I was going to ask about next. Redistricting is obviously coming up. Uh, I spoke with uh, your house colleagues, Tracy yes. Harrison and yeah. uh, Ricky Hurtado, and they both mentioned redistricting and and certainly North Carolina, no stranger to, to fights and lawsuits over redistricting. Um, what's your sense of how that process is going to work? Not only are, you know, the, the U.S. House seats will be redrawn, but all of the state legislative seats will be redrawn as well. What is your sense on, on that process? Do you think it'll be a, a bipartisan process, a fair process, or, or do you anticipate uh, years, years of lawsuits? We are always hopeful and and I will, you know, we're we're in it as well. You know, even when when Democrats were in power, you know, we did not always draw the best maps. And I think the same goes for the majority now. So I think what we can agree on is we need to take the partisanship out of it. I wish we could have an independent redistricting committee. I don't think we're going to get that. Um, this this time around, that 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 would be the gold standard. Uh, but we have been told by leadership that they do want it to be a public process, that they do want to have hearings across the state as they know that we're going to get that final data to get ready for that process. So I remain hopeful um, that we will have a robust public process where um, literally from Murphy to Manio, if you want to come and, and talk about these maps and engage with them, you should have the the ability to do that because we got it wrong the last time we were in court. We had to redraw the maps when we could have just done them right the first time. So I'm really hopeful that we have learned our lesson this time around and, and have a process that that is fair and have districts that are competitive. I mean, when you look at the voter registration of our state, whether it be um, our, our state races or federal, we know that we aren't getting it right. And so I think all the evidence is there. It's just a matter of do we have the political will to draw maps in a, in a fair fashion. It, and it, it impacts so many races. I, I looked at your race. I think you won with some 87%. Over 80%. Of, I'm not sure that's, uh, you know, um, is was that a result of, of kind of packing your district full of Democrats? I believe so. Um, actually, you, I, you could have said that you ran such a great race that you, you attracted I, I be, so I much support. I will be honest about it. Uh, <laughs> having the pleasure of earning over 100,000 votes did not go to my head. It is because of the composition of, of my district. Uh, Durham County is, in fact, the, the bluest district in the state. But to your point, I actually earned the most votes of any state senator. Uh, but because of the way that the, the district is drawn and, and whenever the numbers are um, quite that high. You you definitely say, you know, we, we need to uh, across the state, you know, um, probably if folks get over even 60 percent, it's worth you just giving it another look to say, you know, maybe we can make that district a little bit more, um, more, more competitive. So um, definitely think that we will have to look out for um, partisan gerrymanders will be what, what we can look out for because the court, quite frankly, as you know, has said that some of that is is okay. I think the racial gerrymanders, we won't be able to move forward with, but I think the the, the partisan um, districts will be the ones that we'll, we'll definitely have to be on the lookout for. You, you, this is your first time going through redistricting. You were appointed to the yes. legislature in, in 2020, then you won the seat in, in November of 2020. Yeah. Um, an amazing stat, and I know you talked about it when you were in D.C., but the first uh, Black woman under 40 to serve mm -hmm. in, the, in the state Senate. Yes. What, what, you know, obviously, there's not a lot of people under 40 in the state Senate. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but what is what is the state Senate? What is the state legislature losing by not having those voices represented by having a, a legislature that skews older, uh, skews probably a little more rural than the state is? What, what is 
what is the what, what is the state losing? What is the legislature losing? They really are. And I think that that's why gerrymandering is really so harmful. Um, some of it is also the compensation, but that is not the topic of the day. Um, but as far as the makeup of the maps, that really is why gerrymandering is so harmful. You don't get the representation that you need in your state capitals. You don't truly reflect the makeup of your state. Our state is very diverse from an age perspective, from a race perspective. Um, as we know, Representative Ricky Hurtado, who accompanied me as our first um, Latinx representative that we've ever had in the, the history of North Carolina General Assembly, but we um, have had um, Latinx populations in North Carolina for decades. And, and this is the first, even in um, Durham, you know, we we just, you know, were able to, to, to do that in a previous city council race. So um, I, I definitely think having more competitive maps will allow um, more people to have an honest chance when they when they do run, because really, to be honest, we have great candidates every cycle. But quite frankly, some of our best candidates are running in districts that it would just because of gerrymandering, it would be almost impossible for them to to pull it off. You know, now the long term goal is, you know, run everywhere. You know, people need to be represented. They need to see you. But there are districts where um, we definitely could have more diverse representation um, if, if the districts were, were more competitive and we really miss out. I campaigned on that voice being needed. I wasn't even aware that we didn't have any Black women under 40 until someone on my staff brought it to my attention and said, wait a minute, I don't think anyone's ever, ever done this before. Um, and it wasn't until 1992 is when we got our first Black woman, Senator Jenny Lucas, with the same seat. But you miss out on individuals that are feeling the squeeze of, of not having the wealth of our previous generations. We're living with student loan debt. You have housing costs going up, inflation of everything else. Um, I'm a millennial. So we left college entering a recession and with COVID, we didn't know what to expect. And a lot of us is taking longer for us to become home, homeowners. So we definitely have a different set of challenges that need to be heard here in the General Assembly when we were dealing with unemployment during the pandemic. A number of us said, wait a minute, you know, if you are someone that's in the gig economy and you're a 1099 employee, guess what? We can't apply for any of these programs. So, you know, if you have more folks that, you know, were aware of that and benefited from that, then they can inform policy. So it really impacts our ability to provide services if we don't have this link to um, a younger generation. And, and as you mentioned, um, even in, in rural areas, rural areas are also diverse. You know, so I think we're missing out on different rural voices also um, in other parts of the state because of the way that our maps are are, are drawn. And I really think we're doing North Carolina disservice if we don't um, open it up so that we can have um, diverse representation that is really, really reflective of our great state. And, and I haven't studied the the compensa uh, uh, composition of the of the state legislature as much, but uh, certainly what you get in in at the national level is uh, a lot of wealthy individuals who are able to afford to run for office. Um, I think that's the same case you mentioned the compensation issue, um, and so so you get people who are in a different uh, socioeconomic status than maybe the people that they're representing. And, and so I think that representation issue is very interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. I, I think you you hit the nail on the head. If you um, don't have the the financing to do it, then you, you don't, you know, and I think that also prevents you attracting people from um, different backgrounds, you know, from healthcare fields and 
um, you know, technology, energy. Um, the other Black woman under 40 and now our youngest, I believe she's our youngest female in the legislature period, Senator DeAndre Salvador, is an expert in energy. You know, we would have missed out on this jewel of a person, uh, you know, if she if she didn't run and, and she's phenomenal. But, you know, we both sacrifice, you know, she manages a nonprofit. I manage my own company and it is hard. You know, we do it because we believe in in the work, um, but it but it is definitely difficult to have, you know, a full-time job outside of being a, um, a legislator. Let, let me let me end with this question, and it's sort of from left field. But uh, you worked for the Deborah Ross for Senate campaign. Yes, you're a press secretary. Yeah, uh, so you got a, a front row seat. Now you're an elected official yourself. What will yes. it take for for Democrats in North Carolina to win a U.S. Senate race? And obviously, uh, a lot of candidates on on both sides. An open seat going to get a lot of attention. May determine who which party controls the U.S. Senate. What mm-hmm. will it take for uh, for Democrats to win that seat? Yes. Um, As a communications person, I will lead with the messaging really does have to be right. You really have to speak to people's issues and and values. And also when it comes to messaging, um, whatever, you know, the candidate decides that they want to focus on, if you're out there in the community and knocking on doors and folks are not connecting with that, then your message is wrong. I think that um, on our side, we really have to do a better job of listening and um, and also we're not a monolith, you know, whether it be the Latinx community, the African-American community. I speak with folks all the time about there's a northeastern North Carolina rule. There's a Sand Hills rule. There's an eastern rule. So you cannot say everyone's going to get the same message. You know, you need to specifically say, OK, if you're having these issues in Northampton County, let's talk about it. If you're having these issues in Iredale County, Let's talk about it. So I think that's why you've seen a lot of the candidates, they are traveling across the state and that's the right thing to do. You need to hear from these folks um, first and foremost. Don't assume that you know what to focus on. Don't assume that you know what, what they're struggling with. So I think we have to go back to the basics. We have to go back to kitchen table issues. I think this is also an election um, that will always be on the margins. North Carolina is a very competitive state. We're still purple. Um, so I, I think it will still be a razor thin margin no matter who prevails. And so um, back to the topic at hand, I'll add again, that's why we have to have fair and free elections. If you toss out six ballots across the state in every precinct and add that up, you could lose a U.S. Senate race with that. So I also think that that's a lot of the motivation behind um, some legislation is knowing that our elections will continue to be really, really tight where you only may win by two, 3,000 votes or less than 10,000. So I also think it's a turnout game. I think um, on our side, we need to do a much better job of getting out the vote. I think we do a lot of canvassing and texting and, and phone banking, but we have to physically make sure people have a vote plan. They know where their precinct is. They know how to get out. And I think also it's going to depend on what happens in Washington. I think another theme from the rally, and rightfully so, is people want to see receipts. You know, they they voted for this current administration. They want to see what they're getting for it. I think that that will be a huge factor um, for the outcome of the U.S. Senate election is they'll say, why should I support a specific candidate if I didn't get anything from voting for you all this time around? So I think if we get this year right, that is critical to all of the um, 2022 um, elections. And you got to know your numbers. You know, you got to know where your numbers are are, are coming from. And uh, we saw a high amount of voter drop off 
towards the, the bottom of the ballot. So I think in general, we have to make sure that votes are um, voting the, the complete ballot as well. well. We'll have to leave it there. Senator Natalie Murdoch of Durham, thank you so much for joining us and uh, good luck uh, in the state legislature. All right. Thank you so much, Brian. Good talking with you. Thank you. For the News and Observer and NC Insider, I'm Brian Murphy. See you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.